Welcome to Real Faith. You're listening to... Oh, man, this is really loud on my microphone. <laughs> wow. Anyway, welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM, and I'm listening to it three times as loud as all the rest of you are, probably. But anyway, we're super stoked to have you here. And um, how are you going, Beck? Yeah, How's I'm going well. I'm also going well. Um, I started back at uni this week. Uh, so that's been really good. Or not last week, but since we've last talked, it's just so good to be in class with people, to see people. And um, yeah, it's just been really, really good experience this Top week. Top three things about being back at uni. Uh, people um, actually getting ready to go somewhere. And oh, like I'm trying to set up a routine again. So I think that's kind of been good, like actually going somewhere. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Is that routine perchance involved getting up early? <laughs> Just to check? Look, the routine does. Has my routine involved that? Like, look, I'm working on that. <laughs> it's okay. Progress. I'm not succeeding at that very well either. I've been getting a few um, a few sunrises in. Excellent. In fact, this morning, I got to see the sunrise as I was driving. Mm-hmm. And um, that was great. I got to, I actually went out fishing this morning. Yeah. And I didn't catch anything, unfortunately. But I really enjoyed watching the sunrise out on the water. It was fantastic. I have a question for you. Please Robbie. ask. Please ask. Like, and this might be controversial. So I might be starting controversy. But Jesus veg- ate fish. It's you're true. a vegetarian. No, I'm not. I thought you were. No, I'm not a vegetarian. Oh. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I normally say I'm vegetarian. Yes. Mostly because I, I hardly ever eat meat. I've eaten meat once this year when I caught some fish. That's and, what I was going to ask. And That's I don't I fish gonna, very often. I was going to say, do you eat the fish you catch or do you catch and release? So that was my controversial thing. I do both, okay. uh, depending on what the kind of fish is and yeah, if, yeah. if it's died. <laughs> you, don't, you don't throw back dead fish. That's not very nice. Um, yeah, unless you're... Anyway, let's not get onto that subject. But but often I think I, it's it's easier to say... I'm. I'm basically a vegetarian okay. because 98% of the time I am, yeah, yeah. I almost never eat meat. And when I do, it's it's usually something I've caught myself. Yeah. And uh, it's just a lot easier to tell people that when they're like, I understand. what do you eat? Well, technically I had meat once this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, but that doesn't mean I want to eat, eat meat at your house. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, let's change subject. On to the show. <laughs> On to the show. Today we are starting our new series called Heroes of Faith. And we're going to be exploring some heroes that come out of Hebrews chapter 11, the yes. great faith chapter. This is exciting. I like this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So Ooh. I'm really excited. It is very good. And we're going to be starting with one of the earliest ones that comes into the piece. And today we're going to start by looking at Enoch. Mm -hmm. Now, Enoch only appears a few places in the Bible, so it's going to be a little bit different, perhaps, of a study today than we've been doing in the past. But I'm super excited to see what we get out of it. And we're going to hear from Blair Lemke, who's the youth director, one of the youth directors for the North New South Wales Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a bit of his testimony. And it's going to be a great show. You don't want to miss it. This is Spiritual Mix Singers Sail On. Sisters and brothers, when we all get together in the Lord. 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Super stoked to have you with us. Now, before we get into our next segment, which I love, which is what a weird and wonderful world, because I love learning about this weird and wonderful world that God has made, we just wanted to put out to you that you can call in for our question of the week segment that happens later, and we'd love to hear your Bible questions. And if you'd like to do that, you can call in by calling the following number. Go, Beck, go. (laughs) 1-800-324-843. 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can text us on 0491-064-669, 0491-064-669, or you can hit us up on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. Cool. So we're going into the wonderful facts today, and it's something that ties in slightly with our story about Joseph. So we've had a theme. Oh, because last, last week we talked about... Well, we talked about camels, and then what, what did we talk the about week, last week? No, the, yeah. So last camels week, was two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We talked about something in the desert. I'm having a, a, a we mental lapse. About Egypt in general, general facts. Oh, about that's Egyptians right, that's right. And we talked about deodorants and, and mm-hmm, toothpastes and mm-hmm. th- yeah, weird. All right, what do, we, what do you have for us today? I'm super <laughs> okay. excited. Tell so, us, tell us. So I grew up in WA on property, um, and so we always had a bit of property. There's a lot of excitement about that in the studio. I'm outnumbered here. <laughs> two WAs in the studio. It's pretty good. Um, But when I was about 14, my parents bought a piece of property, which is bigger. And we've always referred to as the farm. And so it's... um, Is it a farm? It's like a real farm? No. It okay. used to be a dairy farm. And so we, we sort of farm. Oh, that, I think that fits. That counts. Yeah, it used to be a dairy farm, but we call it the farm. It's home now for me. Um, and it, we sort of farm things like nuts. My dad's doing fruit trees, things like that. Um and so we're looking to get alpacas. Anyway, that's a fun fact aside. So something that happened on the very first weekend that I stayed there, me and my dad were there and I woke up in the morning and I heard this noise and I was like, what is that noise? I heard this mooing and I looked out the window and it's cows. Now we didn't have cows. We just bought this property. It was our neighbor's cows and they got through onto the land. Nice. Always exciting. Yeah, it was fun because, I mean, I love animals, but me and my dad had to get up, get out there and shoo these cows and try and get them back. But they were like little baby, maybe they weren't, they weren't cows, they were little baby bulls. And so I started chasing it and we were like herding it basically to get it back where it was supposed to be. And it turned around and started chasing 
us instead. And that was my first experience. That's a little terrifying. I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, anyway, we managed to hurt it and get it where it needed to be. But that was an experience. So today, my fun facts are about cows. Really? Yes. Oh, tell us some more. <laughs> you, so, you, I've noticed there's a lot of fun facts about animals I'm in this so, segment. They happen to go with. We our should life call you Beck the zoologist. Absolutely. Now they actually go with our stories. So cows today, keep an eye out because this or an ear out because this is. Ooh, that's yeah, right. Yeah. In ah, our they, stories, yeah, okay. There's there cows, cows in the story. Yeah, we'll there see. Is a we'll see. We'll find out. So. Uh, most people think that cows have four stomachs. That's not true. They have one stomach with four chambers. Ah. Yeah, interesting. Kind of like the heart. Is that right? No. no. Yeah, 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 sort of. <laughs> That's true, sort of, sort of. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay if I'm wrong. It's no, okay. Um, Tell cows, us more. Cows can see almost 360 degrees. So as a result of this, because of where their eyes are placed, they can see almost all the way around. But because That must be why it's so hard to sneak up on them when they're not sleeping. It's true. It's true. But the thing is, is because of where their eyes are, they actually find it hard to see directly in front of them. So sometimes they can't see you when you're directly in front of them, which I thought was funny this thing is really cool i learned this and it was a new story and i had to look it up cows can have different accents so in england so so let me get this right (laughs) Moo could also be like moo yeah absolutely that's a french cow (laughs) so in england there was a group of dairy farmers and they noticed that their cows had different moos you're kidding me i can't believe this is true a bunch (laughs) of language specialists determined that in small populations such as herds they can you can actually hear identifiable dialect differences you're kidding me right they've (laughs) seen this in birds as well different tweets and so what they say is they're affected (laughs) by the most immediate peer group so what happens is the cows hang out with one another and they start to sound like one another and have different dialects so that actually got me to thinking by beholding we become changed that's exactly what came to my mind funnily enough that's so cool so uh, what does that mean robbie well, I think the idea of by beholding means to look upon something, to dwell on something. Uh, so when you behold something, you're looking at it, you're observing it. Yeah. You become different. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So we're influenced by the people we spend time with, the books we read, the things we watch, the things we listen to. Yeah. We're influenced by that. The, Absolutely. And it made me just think, man, if cows can behold and become changed with their accents and people do that as well, um, how much should we try and see God in things and how much should we try and be like him and fill our mind with good things, Mm. you know, Um, by beholding we become changed. So I thought that was really cool. Um, Oh, I love that because, you know, if you want to become more like Jesus, it's not it's not so much about trying to figure out how to do it all yourself. It's actually just about spending time with Jesus and this will happen. Yeah, that's so Think cool. of Jesus, talk yeah. of Jesus, spend time with Jesus. Super that's cool. cool. I like that. Yeah, very good. So yeah, that was my fun facts about cows. Um, so I want to encourage everybody, if you want to be changed into the likeness of Jesus, read the Bible, spend time in prayer and around Christian people, listening to good music. Um, and by beholding, seeing these things, you also will become changed more into the image of God. This is Ren Collective, My Lighthouse. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Whoa, you are the peace in my troubled sea. 
the silence you won't let go In the questions your truth will hold Your great love will lead me through You are the peace in my troubled sea Whoa, You are the peace in my troubled sea to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore, I won't feel what tomorrow brings, with each morning I'll rise and sing, my God's love will Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We're hoping that you're enjoying the show today. And uh, so it's come time for this, the Testify segment. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be a little bit different today. Yeah, I'm really excited for this part. Actually, a few weeks ago, I said to Robbie, I was like, man, you know what? We should do some singing. We should do some music. Um, both Robbie and I like like to sing. But some of you may not know that Robbie is a singer-songwriter. Um, and I love his music, find it a blessing and um, really soulful. And so today, Robbie is going to share an item, um, which is Because He Lives. And so it's a it's a hymn, it's an old hymn, um, and it's so true and, and rich and powerful. So I know that people today are going to be blessed by hearing this song. Yeah, so this one's a cover. It's not, it's not an original tune. This is an oldie. Um, but I love, in the song, there's this really cool lyric. And this song has become really special to me over the years. 
And it says, well, the chorus says, because he lives, because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. Because he lives, right? And I, I love this mm, idea. Because beautiful. I know that he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. And there's this passage in, in Philippians chapter 1 where, where Paul's speaking, and he says this line that I think is so profound. It's Philippians 1 verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, he says, you know, there are challenges in this life that we face, but because Jesus lives and because he lives in me, and that's something we all have access to, we just can get that from the Spirit of God. We don't have to be afraid, and I love that. So without any further ado, here we go. Can face a 
on certain days because he lives because he And more 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. Yes. And if you didn't already know, we do a question of the week portion at the end of this show where we like to answer Bible questions from you. So if you have any questions, we would absolutely adore hearing from you. You can text in, you can call in, you can send us a message on Facebook by doing one of the following. So you can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can text in at 0491-064-669, and if you have trouble remembering that each week, you could just put a sticker on the front of your stereo, I reckon. Call in, text I think that'd be great. Anyway, you can message us on Face FM, uh, sorry, Facebook, Faith FM Australia. Um, yeah, but we're going to get right into it. So last week, or last time, we were dealing with Joseph. Yes. And the first week, we found that he was enslaved, um, his brothers sold him as a slave, then we found out that he was taken as a slave to Egypt, and then for being faithful to God, he was thrown into prison under false accusations, and then he helped some people by interpreting their dreams, because the Spirit of God was at work in his life, and he said, hey, when you get out of prison, remember me, so I can get out of here. I'm, I'm a slave. I did nothing wrong. And they got out of prison, His this dude that he interpreted the dream for, and he forgot about Joseph. Worst friend ever. Not a friend at all. <laughs> no. Thanks. So that's where we're up to. So if you are following along, we are in Genesis chapter 41, and we are going to do a little bit of reading, and we're also going to do a little bit of summarizing today because there's a lot left in the story, and if we were to read it, we'd have to be here for two more weeks, I reckon, Mm -hmm. but we want to move on to some other characters. So we're going to do a little bit of summarizing. So it came to pass that two full years later, how long? Two years. Two full years after old mate gets set out, the cupbearer dude, gets freed from prison, goes back to working in Pharaoh's throne room. It's two whole years that Joseph's still stuck in prison and nobody is having any thanks or gratitude for what he has been able to do by the grace of God. And at this time, there is an experience that Pharaoh has where Pharaoh has a dream. Now, this is reminiscent to me of the experience that we studied in Daniel yes. where, where Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and God's communicating to him and he panics. Well, a similar, a similar thing happens here and he calls together people to interpret the dream. What does it mean? The wise men, the magicians of Egypt, he calls all these people together and they're not able to interpret the dream. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer, ba-bing, remembers. I know. I feel so bad. I think if this hadn't happened, he wouldn't have remembered Joseph. I know. It's crazy. But perhaps God had other things in store. We'll Definitely. find out. And so he, the cupbearer goes, oh, hey, I know a guy. His name's Joseph. He's in prison. Oh, oh, I wonder if he had any remorse at this point. But he tells Pharaoh about it. And so Pharaoh calls 
to the prison captain of the prison guard and he says, send me this man to interpret my dream. And that's where we're up to in the story. So we're going to read from Genesis 41, verse 16 through 25, and we're going to hear about this dream. Take it away, Beck. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt. Such ugliness as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. (laughs) And And the gaunt and the ugly cows ate up the first seven and the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also, I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Awesome. So this is a pretty weird dream. Let's be real. So Pharaoh has this nightmare, because I imagine it was probably a bit of a nightmare by the end. It starts off real good, and he says, oh, man, there were these, these seven bountiful, beautiful, flourishing cows, and they were eating by the Nile, right? Like, this is a good sign for Egypt. And then he says, out of the river came seven ugly, gaunt, skinny cows who looked like they were emaciated, and they came, and then they ate the other cows. And then he wakes up. Panic. And then he goes back to sleep, and he has another dream, and there were these seven healthy stalks of grain, and then out come these seven sickly stalks of grain, and they consume the good ones. And then he wakes up, and it was seven and seven and seven and seven. And then he calls for the magicians, and they can't tell him a thing. So Joseph says here something very powerful. What do you notice about what Joseph says? What Joseph says is the same thing that Daniel said, actually. So Pharaoh said, oh, can you can you tell me? And Joseph said, I can't tell you, but it's God that will be able to tell you. It's the, the living God, the one and only God who can tell you. And Daniel said the exact same thing. They're both giving credit always to God. God is the one who can tell the future. He's the revealer of dreams. And in some cases like this, he's the giver of dreams. It's beautiful, isn't it? He's deferring the glory to the one to whom it belongs, which is God. Yeah. It's beautiful. And so the question is, well, what does the dream mean? And so Joseph begins, but instead of reading it for sake of time, we're going to do a little bit of summarizing today. But I encourage you, when you get home, to read along and read through the the details that we're not able to to read through in in great detail today Mm -hmm. and go through the rest of these chapters because it's a magnificent story. So he tells the interpretation. He says, basically, Pharaoh, here's what's up. The seven fat cows represent seven good years of plenty coming to Egypt. He says, you're going to have seven good years of lots of great harvest. It's going to be amazing for seven years. He says, then there's going to be seven years that follow. And those seven years are going to be the worst famine that you have ever experienced in the history of your entire nation. Yeah, wow. And then he says, the second dream means exactly the same thing, right? The seven good stocks of grain represent seven years of plenty, which are going to be followed by seven years of famine. And so he says, look, it's almost like he's saying, hey, look, God gave you the same dream twice, so you'd know it was serious. Yeah, he says, like, this is important. This is knowledge that you need to have. And then I think we're summarizing the next part as well. Um, talking about Joseph and what happens, we might read the two verses um, talking about 
Well, before well, we get there, before we get yeah. there, one more thing. Let's do a little summarize before we get to that. So the in that, he says, so here's what you should do. Here's the recommendation, mm-hmm. he says to Pharaoh. He's like, what you need to do is you need to put somebody who's intelligent and capable and responsible in charge. And during those years, you need to collect and store up enough grain in the seven years of plenty to feed your entire nation for seven years of nothing. Yeah. And he says, that's what you need to do. And God has shown you beforehand to, to basically save Egypt. Mm-hmm. And this is powerful because he's saying that God is, God is, what this really essentially communicates to me is that God cared enough about this pagan nation, right? And the people in that to give them an opportunity to be exposed to something that's going to come up soon. And also there's a greater purpose that we see, we'll see later in the story. Ooh, ooh. Exciting. So yeah. good. Cliffhanger. Okay, so what's, Pharaoh going to do, and that's where we're going to keep reading. So let's read from thirty-seven to thirty-eight. So the advice, so the advice that Robbie had just said about getting someone to to gather the grain was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, "Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God?" Oh, I love that. Yeah, so basically he picks Joseph. He says that there's the spirit of God is in Joseph. I can see that, and I'm going to pick him. And so we see it's actually crazy. In one day, Joseph's rise to power. So he goes from being in That's jail exactly right. to becoming like the second in charge. And it's it's amazing in one day. So Literally one day. It's, it's such a crazy thing that God can do and God can use us for. Um, and Joseph wouldn't have thought that this would ever have happened. No, oh, totally. And, you know, I've never really seen the connection so strongly between Joseph and Daniel until just now. Because this is the same thing that they said about Daniel. Remember, we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, sorry, not Nebuchadnezzar, the last king of Babylon. Yeah. Um, Belshazzar. And, and what's the... The thing that the that his his mother or grandmother comes in and tells him about Daniel, he says, "This is the one in whom the spirit of God resides." Amen. And this is the way that Joseph is described here by the king of this pagan nation, mm-hmm. right? He says, "Dude, this this guy has got the spirit of God in him," and he t- basically says to his advisors, "Like, hey, are we going to find anybody better than this? Right? Like, let's clearly all of our magicians and." Religious people are are incapable of doing this, but clearly this man has the spirit of God because of what he's just done with interpreting the dream. Why don't we put him in charge? And so he gets put in charge. Yeah. And he does an incredible job. So during the seven years of plenty, he stores up immense amounts of grain. Actually, he says so much grain that they basically couldn't count it. That's right. They, yeah. they stopped counting. There was so much. And then what's amazing is that Joseph is blessed. He gets He has two sons. He's given a wife. Um, not in that order, but... <laughs> <laughs> given a wife and then they have two sons it doesn't really work the other way around um so he goes on to to do this same job with the same faithfulness and the same trust in god that he did all of the other things with and it's amazing the results that happen so after all of this time it says there were seven years of plenty and in fact let's read from verse 53 through the end of the chapter 53 through 57 to find out what happens next Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. The famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. 
So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Awesome. So what's amazing about this is where does the famine spread to? Everywhere. Everywhere. So there's no food. They're running out of food, not just in Egypt, but in all of the surrounding countries. And what's amazing is that Egypt now becomes a place that is a distributor of food, not only to their own suffering nation, but to the suffering nations around them who start to send people to Egypt to be given food to survive. And who is responsible for all of this? Joseph. Joseph, and who's ultimately responsible? God. God is responsible. And I love this. God brings Joseph up for a specific task, for a specific time, for a specific purpose. And that purpose has many periphery reasons that are ble- like, the, the, like blessings that come out of that. One, the Egyptians are provided for. Two, the surrounding nations are provided for. But what we're going to find out is that there is something even more spectacular going to take place yeah. in this. Awesome. All right. Well, we're doing well on time. Actually, I'm really, so I'm really pleased. So we're going to keep reading so that we don't run out of time. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> let's keep reading from Genesis chapter 42, verse 1 through 7. When Jacob, so this is Joseph's dad, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? I think we need to pause there. That's too good. Jacob looks at his sons when there's no food and he says to them, what are you doing looking at each other? Like, that's not solving anything. Hey, what are you sitting around here like twiddling your thumbs for? It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Looking for someone to make a response? Here's what we're going to do. I love that. That's just typical dad. I love it. (laughs) And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Okay, I just want you to just let this sink into your mind a little bit. Put yourself in the shoes of Joseph, right? Jacob's off in the land of Canaan, sends 10 of his sons. He keeps Joseph's blood, like like full blood brother, his favorite, next his, favorite. Right? So the, he's the youngest. He's the baby. He's the only child left to Rachel, who was Joseph's mother. He was the favored child. That was the favored wife. Right? So he keeps him there. And then they arrive, and they're coming to you for food. And all of a sudden, boom, here they are. And there your brothers are that you haven't seen for how many years? If I remember correctly, it is 13 years later. 13 years later, because it says that Joseph is about 30 years old, and he was kidnapped when he was, and sold as a slave when he was 17. Yeah, that's 13 true. years later, right? He's put in charge. So this is even later than that, right? Because he was 30 when he was put in charge. Well, now he's, sorry, I did my math wrong. Add seven to that. Yeah. Right? So he's 37 yeah, pl- yeah. plus. So there's 20 years. So here's 20 years mm-hmm. that he hasn't seen these brothers. Last time he saw them, they were, they were throwing him into a pit and then selling him as a slave. Imagine the emotional, heart-wrenching experience it would be to see these people who were your abusers. This is full on, hey. Totally full yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like it's so intense. Um, 
all those emotions that they were going to see and that he recognizes them, but it says they don't recognize him. So the next part, we're going to find out what happens with Joseph and his brothers. This is Marletta Fong, Better Than I. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. 
We are deep into the story of Joseph. His brothers have just arrived, but before we get any further into that, we're going to do a shameless plug for Question of the Week, because we'd love to hear from you. Yes, we it's, would. I, I really enjoy coming in and hanging out with Beck and with Liam, who you guys don't know too well, but he's our producer in the studio. He's great. And, uh, he is great. We have a lot of great banter off air. But uh, what I really love most is when we get to hear from you guys. So if you have any Bible questions, we'd love to hear from you, and you can call in at... On- one eight hundred three two four eight four three. That's one eight hundred Faith FM. Text us on zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. I'm going to say it again because we really want a question. Zero four nine one zero six four double six nine. Or you can go to Facebook Faith FM Australia. It's the biggest tongue twister ever. Facebook Faith FM. It is Real every time is. I get to that, I take a deep breath. Faith and face are very similar. <laughs> In sound, not in actuality. All right, so let's continue on. We are in Genesis chapter 42, and we're continuing on in verse 8. Joseph has just seen his brothers. He recognizes them. They don't recognize him, and he speaks harshly to them. Mm-hmm. So let's keep reading. Verse 8. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. I just say there that they weren't honest men. But at this point, they were being honest. That's a fair point. (laughs) But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying you are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. Awesome. So what's going on here? Basically, Joseph is testing his brothers. It, it's he's seen them and he's responding, maybe emotionally at this point, and he wants to to test them. But he also wants to find his youngest brother. I think he might have questions. This is just my perception that he was treated poorly, and he thinks maybe my younger brother Benjamin has been treated poorly. I want to see if he's alive. How am I going to get them to come? And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to trick them and cause them to go and bring him back basically so i can see fully and you know what's there's so many interesting points that come out of this part of the story for me i think it's it's incredibly important to realize a couple of things one it says they bowed down to him and he remembers the dream that happened at the beginning of the story that he told to his brothers where they were represented by these uh, gathered like heaps of grain that bowed down to his heap of grain mm-hmm. and then that the sun the moon and the stars bowed down to him right and this was representative of the family and he's seeing these visions that he had had and he's understanding that these dreams that he's just been interpreting for pharaoh for these people this would have been a huge connection point where he's like whoa yeah god foretold this to me 20 years ago that would be a huge awakening and yet still Any of us who has ever experienced hurt or trauma, and this is not just like casual hurt, this is trauma. His brothers said, hey, we're going to murder you. And uh, one of them convinced them not to do that, said throw him in a pit instead and let him die. 
right? And then the other guys eventually go, hey, here comes some slave traders. Let's sell them off for money, right? And then the next 20 years, you've been in a, you're a refugee in a foreign country. You wind up in jail for a good portion of that time. Like this is full on. This is really full on. And here they are. And I think it's important to recognize that even good, godly people have a hard time rebuilding trust with those who have have broken trust. Yeah, absolutely. I like to think of trust like a spider's web. A spider meticulously builds each part and it's incredibly strong. And it takes a long time to develop each piece by piece by piece. And it's the strongest natural substance in the world known to mankind. However, it's once it's broken, a spider basically has to start over and make a whole new web. Yeah, wow. You know, trust is, trust takes really time to develop. Yeah. Trust can be easily broken, but it's not easily built. And so he's going about this to test, hey, is my youngest brother alive? Have you killed him as well? Right? Mm-hmm. What's going on? And so he throws him in jail for three days. And I imagine that that was three days of a lot of internal struggle of wrestling with God. What am I going to do with these people? I have the authority. I could kill them. I could destroy them. I could do whatever. But what's he going to do? And so let's keep reading and find out how does he respond after this three days of mulling it over. I imagine there was a lot of prayer in that time. Yeah, I think so. Prayer and also just um, pouring out his heart to God. (laughs) Yeah, crying, pouring out his heart. Um, So verse 18, then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. All right. Now check this out. Think about what would go on there. They're speaking in Hebrew, right? Yeah. And he's speaking in Egyptian, not letting on who he is. They don't recognize him. He's all dressed up like an Egyptian. He's you know, been in this foreign culture. Everything looks different. They haven't seen him for 20 years. But he hears in his own mother tongue that he's probably not heard another single soul speak for 20 years. And when he hears them say this, Reuben says, we did wrong. We are guilty. And now we're getting what we deserve. Now imagine this. Imagine hearing from his brothers in this other language that they're recognizing and acknowledging their guilt. Yeah. They're acknowledging their guilt and they're also describing what happened. And I think that that would have been really hard for Joseph. Like hearing it, it says he weeps, but... He, they said, oh, he cried out to us and we wouldn't listen to him. And I think right at that moment, he would have remembered that pain of crying out and them not listening. And then he turns away and he just has to hide somewhere and cry. And they don't know where he's gone, but he's just hiding so he can weep and then come back to them and say, go. Yeah, fully. It's just, it's just hectic, really right? Really heavy. It's so hectic. You don't need to go looking too far to find like serious drama because it's right here in scripture. Like yeah. this is full on. You yeah. Can, Hollywood doesn't do it any better than this. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is incredible. And this is a true story. Sometimes real life is stranger than fiction, right? 
Yeah. So let's read up to verse 28. Verse 25 through 28. Mm -hmm. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? All right. So what has Joseph done? Yeah, he's stitched them up, basically. Big time. A big stitch up. And so he's put the money that they paid for the grain back in their sacks. So now, to them, they're like, it looks like we've stolen. We've we've taken the money and we've stolen. We've been given the grain. And they're like, we're going to be in trouble now. What is God? It's God trying to rain retribution back on us. Yeah, right? This is their perspective. They're like, yeah. oh, we're getting what we deserve. This is mm-hmm. no good. What's going to happen? Why is this happening to us? Yeah. And so they go home. This is where we're going to summarize a little bit more yeah. for sake of time. But they get home and they speak to their father, Jacob, and they start to explain what happened. So we, we went to Egypt. The governor was really harsh with us. He put us in jail. He's kept Simeon and he said, he's not gonna, we're not going to get Simeon out of jail unless we bring back our youngest brother. And then on top of that, we're going home and we find money back in one of our sacks. And it's just like, what's going to happen? And so Jacob's like, realizes what's going on. You want to take my youngest son from me now? Yeah. You've already lost another one of my sons. I've already lost two sons. I'm not going to lose another one, right? Mm-hmm. And so he says, no. And then Reuben's like, dude, we're not going to be able to eat. If we don't do this, we've got nothing left. We're all going to die. He says, you can have my two sons as, as uh, what would you call that? Like Tribute, like sacrifice. tribute, that's right. Yeah. Like, if I don't come back and bring back your two sons to you, you can take my sons and you can do whatever you want with them, right? He says, I'll be responsible. And Jacob's like, no, ain't going to happen. Yeah. And this goes on until they run out of food. They run out of food again. Yeah. And then we come to chapter 43, and the discussion starts up again. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're, they're talking to their father, and he says to them, hey, go back to Egypt and buy food. But this time Judah speaks up. Now, the interesting thing about Judah is that Judah's the one who said, let's sell Joseph as a slave. Yeah. So check this out. So Judah starts this conversation and he says to Joseph, hey, or sorry, says to Jacob, hey, this guy solemnly warned us that we're not going to see anything. There's no point in us going down. If you will not send our youngest brother with us, if you're not going to send Benjamin, there's no point and we're not going to go. And then it comes to this point where Jacob says, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell him you had another brother? What, are you, what were you thinking? And they're like, what? come on, we, how could we know? We didn't know that. But then this is really cool. If you come down to 43, verse 8 through 10, I want you to take note of the change of heart that takes place in Judah mm-hmm. from the time where he sells his brother as a slave to right now. Check this out. Do you want to read that for us? Yeah. 43, verse 8 through 10. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. All right, so check this out. Who is the person who's now willing to sacrifice his own life and put himself on the line? Yeah, Judah. Judah. And I love this part of the story. It's one of my favorite parts of the whole story, in all honesty. 
Judah has had a change of heart to the point where he says, hey, look, I'm willing to put myself on the line. It's me, right? And it's so cool what happens in the story. So this is going on. Judah's having a change of heart. He says, let, the, let me bear the blame forever. It's, it's on me. I'll take responsibility. I'll take full responsibility, which is powerful because before he was the one who put Joseph into the situation that ended up with him being sold as a slave. Yeah. And what I love about this is there's hope. Because when we read these stories, these are real stories of real people. And these, there's elements of this that are relatable to people like you, like me. And the reality is different characters in this story we might be able to relate to. We might have been like a Joseph where the dysfunction of our family has destroyed us, right? But we might be the Judah in the story who have been dysfunctional and it's led to the destruction of someone else's life. Yeah. And what's powerful about this is that God didn't give up on Judah. God didn't give up on Judah. Yeah, the story's amen. about Joseph, but he's not the only character in the story. And you know what's powerful? It's not through Joseph's line that Jesus eventually comes. It's through Judah's descendants that Jesus eventually comes. The very man who, who convinced everyone, let's sell Joseph as a slave, has a change of heart and he repents. And this repentance is evident. And it's through his line that the Jesus, the Messiah, actually comes. Yeah, it's so cool. It's so powerful. It's so profound because it gets even further than this in the story. So they go and they go back to Egypt. And as we come into the story, they, they come back to meet with Joseph. When they get near the house in verse 19, it says that they get to the steward and they say, hey, hey, sir, we, um, we came down the first time. We, we bought the, the food. We paid the money. He says, and then I don't know what happened. By some miracle, we had, a, we had money back in our sacks. And he says, so here's the money. And what's interesting is that the steward says to them, no, let me go check, double check the books. He says, no, yeah. I got paid. Keep your money. And now they're starting to like freak out. Like, what is going on? This money came from somewhere. And so then they come in and they see Joseph, right? And in verse 24, it says, the man brought them into Joseph's house. He gave them water. They did their thing. And then Joseph comes home in verse 26 and they, they bring him this present, that Jacob said, which was all of the goods that they still had in spite of the famine. They bowed down before Joseph again. Then they, they asked him about, or sorry, then he asked them about their well-being. He asked about their father. And they say, oh yeah, he's doing good. And then they bowed their heads a third time before him. And so this dream that Joseph has had about his brothers bowing down before him has been fulfilled one time, two times, three times. And Benjamin's here. He's seen that Benjamin's alive. And the question is, what in the world is going to happen next? This is the Porter's Gate, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself Let us be known, let us be known By the way we love Let us be known, let us be known By the way
love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. I hope you're enjoying your lovely drive or sit or whatever it is that you're doing while you're listening. One final opportunity to um, send in a question of the week before now in that next segment. So if you want to add to the queue of questions, you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 491 064-669, or hit us up on our Facebook page at Faith of M Australia. So, man, this it's it's almost like every time we get to a break, it's just another cliffhanger. This there's so much drama in this so story. So much in this story, such a good movie. All right, so <laughs> it's playing out of my mind right now. So they come in and they're sitting down to dinner with Joseph. Yeah, it's like he's had a change of heart. He's all friendly towards them, and he's he's really testing him at this at. Them oh, at fully. this time, you know, but they sit down, they have dinner with him, and then he sends them off again. Um, and but, this is where we find another twist. That's right. And even before that, it's funny. Like he sits them down; they're all in, seated in birth birth order, and then uh, they all get like these portions of food. And then his brother Benjamin winds up with like five times. I think it says literally yeah, five, five times. times as much food. So they yeah. they bring out food for all ten, and then they bring out five times of everything. For Benjamin, and just imagine the freaking out. They'd be like, "What's going on?" Yeah. And so he commands the steward fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry. Put each money's man or each man's money back in his sack of grain, and then he puts the fancy cup from his table in Benjamin's bag. Yeah. And then sends them all on their way. And and so they have no told, idea. They don't know. They yeah. got no idea. Yeah. It's all been discreetly done. He's setting them up for another trap. Mm-hmm. Now, this is interesting. Very interesting. And so they go on their way. Da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, one of Pharaoh's stewards starts chasing after them from a distance. He comes to his steward and says, Hey, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say, Why have you done these things? Why are you repaying? Good with evil, right? What's going on? Who? Yeah. Which of you stole my cup? And then 
we read. So verse six through verse nine of chapter forty-four. So, so he overtook them. I couldn't help them. it. There was a lot of drama in yeah. my mind. <laughs> the steward overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, "Why does my lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servant should do such a thing." Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. Okay, one one quick point here. Hold on. They're so cocky and so confident, even after the last experience where there was money in their sacks, like in one person's sack of, of, of grain, Actually, it turned out that there was money in all of their sacks when they got back home. So they found it in one, and then they found it in all oh, of their right. sacks. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. I forgot that detail. Thank you. And then, was that not enough for them to be like, oh, maybe we should check, right, the accusation? But no, they say, no, 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 no. We took everything back. We're good. And uh, just in case you weren't sure about that, whoever, whoever's bag you find that cup in that we apparently stole... Let him be put to death. Yeah. And you know what? The rest of us, the rest of us will be your slaves, right? And so he gets off the horse and he starts opening the bags. He starts with the oldest and goes one by one through all 11 bags. And when he gets to the youngest, he pulls out of the bag the cup from Joseph's table. Yeah, wow. And at this point, just imagine, imagine the feeling in those brothers' stomachs when they see that, oh no, we have just done two ills. We have sworn to give Benjamin's life to death. That's going to kill our father. Yeah. And point number two, we've sold ourselves into slavery. And so they go back and they're just, it says they tear their clothes. They're in, they're mourning. They're so in distress that they, they do this. They go all the way back. Now check this out. Let's read verse 16. When they arrive there, Joseph approaches them. He says, what is this you have done? Right, And he continues to set this stage up. And in verse 16, check out what happens. This is amazing. Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Okay, who's acknowledging their guilt and saying, You know what? We've done wrong. Our, our, our sins have, have found us out. God is repaying to us what we deserve. We are guilty. Yeah, it's Judah. Judah. Judah is again taking responsibility. He's acknowledging guilt. And so he goes on and he says, you know, this, this conversation with, with Joseph. And he goes on to talk and he says, oh, oh, my Lord, please let me speak. Right? He says, don't, don't be, don't be like this, right? Like, don't. Don't take all these people. Don't kill the boy. This is so cool. Yeah. He says, don't kill the boy. Send the boy home. He basically says, if he goes and if he stays here, our father's going to die. And so he says, don't do this. Don't take him. Um, Take me. That's right. And this this is the most powerful part. And so he says, no, when I came to your servant... My father, if the lad is not there, if this boy, Benjamin's not there, he's done. My father's going to die of despair and heartbreak. Let's read verse 32 through 34 in Judah's own words. So he's speaking about himself. He says, For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain 
instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? So check this out, man. Here Judah says, look, take me. Right? Yeah. He's, he's now taking to the, his responsibility to the point where he says, you know what? I'm going to give my life so that this boy can go home. And I love this. It makes me want to cry. It's so powerful. Because this is, the, this is what the love of God does in a person's life. Yeah. He leads us to understand and acknowledge our guilt and to take responsibility for it, to confess. And Judah's now willing to sacrifice where before he was willing to sacrifice someone else for his own gain. Yeah, he's had a total change of heart. A total change of heart. And it says, This is the grace of God in yeah, action. Yeah, because in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart. We can't make ourselves like that. We don't change ourselves. Uh, we're naturally inclined to sin and to selfishness. But God says, I will give you a new heart. And he, our Judas, allowed himself to be given a new heart. So, so powerful. Such a powerful story. And at this point, just imagine being Joseph, right? Because you'd know the voices of your brother, right? You'd know these voices. When you were in the pit and you had these 10 brothers speaking, you'd know who was saying what. Yeah. And when you heard Judah himself say, no, 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 why should we not, why should we just let him die? Why, why don't we sell him and make money off it? That'd be even better for us. He would have, it would have just broken his heart. And now this very same man who was the person responsible for convincing everyone to send him into slavery now is acknowledging his guilt to save Joseph's younger brother. Mm -hmm. And at this point in the story, just imagine being Joseph. Let's read what Joseph's response is. Let's read Genesis 45, 1 through 5. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Boom. Yeah. Mic drop. What a powerful sentiment. Yeah. So he said, you know, he can't restrain himself anymore. He's been hiding himself. He's been pretending he's playing this game. He's testing making sure that it's safe. You know, he's seeing, have, have they changed? Is my brother alive? Is my brother safe? What's going on? Is my father okay? Like, just imagine after they did this to you, why, what, would, what would have stopped someone from, who, who would behave that way towards their brother from behaving that way towards their father or towards anyone else? Mm -hmm. And so he's, he's gone through this whole thing and he sees Judah's change and he can't hold it together anymore. So he sends everybody out and it says he cries so loud that everybody in the whole court of Pharaoh could hear him crying Yeah, behind yeah. closed doors. So he sends them out and they're all like, what is going on in there? Just imagine, whoa, what's going on in Joseph, bro? And these strangers who speak a weird language. Um, and at this point, he says to them, it's me. Yeah. I am Joseph, right? He speaks to them and he says, is, is my father alive? Yeah. 
Is he still alive? And at this point, just imagine the just the gobsmack on your face, right? Your jaw just drops and hits the floor, and yeah. you have to pick it back up, and it falls down yeah. again, right? Like, and I think, like I was thinking, they wouldn't have recognized him when I was doing research about Egypt. Like they often wore wigs, and so he quite possibly could have been wearing a wig right then, being in second in charge. The the rich people wore a lot of wigs. They also wore makeup, like eye makeup and coal around their eyes, so he could be doing that, you know, being part of the the group there. But also, he was young, so he was yeah. 17 and now he's maybe not quite 40 and so his brothers he would know they were they were older but he's was a youth and now he's become a much older man so they don't recognize him at all they weren't expecting it and now they see him but something that i think is so beautiful is that he says don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here because he sees providence as in he sees god's hand working in this situation and he said god used what was to be evil for good um, and it's so beautiful, this this picture that we see that Joseph has been used for redemption of people all around uh, because of what his brothers did. I love it. It's such a powerful story. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses in Scripture, or, or from my, one of my favorite chapters anyway, Romans 8, 28, which says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. It doesn't say that all things are good. Mm-mm. It doesn't say that everything that happens is exactly according to God's will. No. It actually says that when we surrender to God, he's able to take even the broken and messed up parts of our life and to bring good out of even that. Yeah, amen. And so Joseph has experienced this, and God has brought reconciliation. Now, this is so powerful. So powerful. He sees, like you said, he sees that you know, you did this to, to harm me, but God intended this for good, mm-hmm. right? What a powerful statement. And then check this out. It comes down to verse 14, and, and look at the response that happens emotionally. Let's read that, 14 and 15. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. It's incredible. Yeah. After all of that, he doesn't just fall on Benjamin, his brother who was taken from him. He falls on the necks of these other people and he's weeping, mm-hmm. kissing their necks, right? He's, 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 he's making a point here. This is reconciliation. Joseph has forgiven them. Yeah. This would have been an incredibly difficult task. But Joseph is now free from the burden of unforgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. This is so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. And in fact, if you're interested in learning more about forgiveness, you can contact us and we can get you in touch with a book called Forgive to Live by Dr. Dick Tibbetts. There's a program about forgiveness because this is a serious thing. Mm-hmm. And Joseph at this point would have experienced so much catharsis or, or, or reconciliation, peace in the midst of all of this. Yeah, It's such an incredible story. So we're going we're gonna to keep reading a little bit further. Um, let's read verse 19 and 20. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. Beautiful. So this is awesome. So he basically goes and says, look, go home, bring the whole family here. And I'm going to give you a place in Egypt to be. Yeah. And so not only has he forgiven them, 
he's now blessing them and he gets the whole family. And what's amazing is that Jacob comes, all 70 of the family members, the whole tribe eventually comes to Egypt. They're given their own section of land called Goshen and this is where they're gonna live. Mm -hmm. And what I love about this whole story is that Joseph, Joseph is basically doing things like Jesus is doing, right? He's, he's laying himself on the line here to let his family come back and to bring them into Egypt. It's just this beautiful story of reconciliation, yeah. of grace, mm-hmm. of forgiveness, of rebuilt trust, of mercy taking place. And it's such a powerful story because this kind of reconciliation is the reconciliation God wants with you. This is for king and country, oh God, forgive us. We're praying the prayer with no reply. Words float off into the night. Couldn't cut our time with the sharpest knife. Oh, oh, God, forgive us. Silence isn't comfortable We'll drive through peace and instant hope A shallow faith that has left us broke Oh, oh, God, forgive us Oh, oh, God, forgive us A slave to our uncertainty Help us with our unbelief Oh, oh, God, forgive us Young and old, black and white Rich and poor, there's no divide You're the mighty, you're the powerless Singing, oh, oh, God, forgive us Uncertainty 
Help us with our unbelief. Oh, oh, God, forgive
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM, and it has come to the time of the day for my favorite little jingle that I've heard in quite some time. Do we have the jingle, Liam? Tell us, tell us what time it is. Question of the week. I love it. So good. So good. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, and I would have loved it just as much if it was someone else saying it, but just I love that. But particularly, you said it, so we recorded it in here. It was pretty oh, it was fun. Good, a good fun. <laughs> All right, so the question this week is: drum roll, dealing with an issue called universalism. And if you are not familiar with that word, means we're going to explain that in a moment. So the question is: is there biblical evidence that everyone eventually? goes to heaven. Mm. So this is the idea that that universalism speaks about. It says that universally, every human being that has ever lived will eventually accept God's grace and will live forever with God in eternity. Yeah. Um, that belief is called universalism. And the, it's a great question um, because on the surface level, it sounds sounds really nice, but there are some, some problems with that idea uh, biblically and also just just rationally, yeah. Um, there's some things about that that we might not see at the surface level that are 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 not great things. So I'm going to hand this over to Beck. She's going to share a little bit about this question. Um, so the question again is: Is there biblical evidence that everyone eventually goes to heaven? Yeah. Um, and when you dig deep and you look at scripture, we always look at multiple scriptures. You never just look at one passage. You look at what one scripture says, what another scripture says. You take the whole topical area and you look at it together. And so that's what we have to do with this question. So there's many, many passages which act in fact show straight up that this is evidenced by scripture, not true. It is not true that everybody goes to heaven. The Bible is very clear that there's two groups of people. So those who are eternally saved and those who are eternally lost. And so Jesus explains this really well in a few parables um, or stories. So parables are stories that Jesus told. And so in Matthew 13, he talks about the kingdom of heaven and he describes these people as being wheat, the wheat being the people who choose to follow him and the tares or the weeds who don't choose to follow him. And he says that at the end of time, the harvest together of the wheat is going to be the people who follow him and they're going to go to heaven. And then the weeds are going to be gathered together and burnt. And that burning is burnt to destruction, um, burnt till there's, there's nothing left. Um, and there's another story that Jesus tells in Matthew, which gives a really good example in Matthew 25. And he talks about when he comes back, when the, when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in his glory. And he says, it actually says, Matthew 25, verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them. And so he separates them to the right and to the left. And he calls them the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are the people that follows him. Jesus is the good shepherd, right? And so he separates them. And the sheep are the ones who want to be saved. And the goats are the one who've chosen not to. And this is what he says in Matthew 25, verse 34. To the sheep he says, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then to the goats he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so... We see throughout scripture, Jesus says it's definitely people who are eternally saved and people who are eternally lost. Um, in Revelation, it's described as fire coming down from God out of heaven and devouring them. Um, 
And it's something that we learn and we think, okay, this is pretty heavy. And I know we've discussed before, what does it happen when, when we die? And here, the destruction of the wicked is always through fire. And it's fire that burns until there is no more. So there's a few verses that talk about that. Um, in Malachi 4, verses 1 to 3, it says that those who do wickedly will be burnt up and they'll become as ashes and stubble. So there'll be nothing left. Um, Psalm 37, verse 10 says that the wicked shall be no more. Job, he also talks about the wicked perishing and being no more. And in Proverbs, again, the wicked will be no more. They will, they will be not here alive and they won't be anywhere burning forever so they're going to be burnt up and so that's something that we learn that man they die eternally that's it there is no more living but then there's the people who chose to follow God and they have eternal life and the difference here is that if they were there somewhere and they were still alive but they were in hell say for example they were burning somewhere that that's a perception that people have out there they would still be alive and so they would still have eternal life but it would be tormented but we actually find that it's eternal death that they're not here anymore so the entire reason that Jesus came lived and died on the cross is that he would give eternal life to those who believe in him and so one final verse that gives a a great understanding of this is first John 5 uh, verse 11 to 12 says God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son He who has the Son has eternal life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. Yeah, great points, Beck, great points. And I think, you know, when we talk about a topic like this, it's very easy for this to be kind of far removed from from our our mind and kind of far removed from the emotional aspect of this is heavy, right? But I want to highlight something that I think is really important here. At, At the surface level, the idea that Everyone eventually goes to heaven, this this idea of universalism. One, we just found that it's not biblical. Mm-hmm. And if it's not biblical, well, it's, it's not really something that we should believe in regarding spiritual things. So this is an important point. One, it's, the Bible says it's not true. Yeah. That's a, that makes it a problem. The second reason that I think it's important to think about this is God values human choice so much more than any of us really recognize. Your freedom to choose to accept or reject God's offer of grace is incredibly important to him. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is 2 Peter 3, 9. And it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but, and here's the important part, God is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Mm. Now here's the point. God's desire is that everyone be saved. However, in order for God to save everyone, he would have to override each person's free will because there are people who do not want mm-hmm. to live forever with Jesus. And that's sad. It's it's not that's not a great picture. But what's beautiful about this is that God is not in the in the 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 business of coercion, right? Yeah. One of the, the the just think of it this way, and I'll try not to be too graphic with my words, but if God were to say to someone who says, I don't want to live forever with you, I don't want to be in your kingdom, I don't want to live in a life of self giving self giving love and respond to your grace and accept your forgiveness. I don't want any of that. And he were to force them, that would be forced intimacy for eternity. And that's not a beautiful picture. What is beautiful is that God 
while not everyone goes to heaven, everyone gets the choice to respond and choose where they will go. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. We've come to the, well, this is probably the saddest part of our show because it's, it's the end. It is. But um, the end. there's a great time that we've got to just, just reflect on this passage. So, mm-hmm. so what do you take out of this, Beck? What can we take out of this passage of yeah. Scripture? I was listening to a preacher preach on this topic again. Um, I was blessed by what he said. So I really wanted to share that. Um, 
all of scripture, the point of all of scripture is to lead us to Jesus and it's to show Jesus. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you search scripture um, because you think in it you find eternal life, but the eternal life is actually coming from me. Scripture is what testifies of me. And so what we see in these stories and the heroes of faith in these stories, they're not just cool stories which have good lessons, even though they are. What they actually are is lifting up Jesus. And the, the life of Joseph really parallels the life of Jesus. And we can actually see Jesus' life in Joseph. And so I just wanted to draw some parallels and, and share them with you um, that I heard and they were, they were great. So Joseph was sent to save his brothers. He was sent to go and get his brothers by his father. Jesus was sent to come and save humanity. Um, Joseph was hated by his brothers because of his perfection and because of how good he was and it showed their weaknesses. Jesus was also hated uh, because of his perfection and how it showed the Pharisees and people's weakness. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver um, and Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was severely tempted and Jesus was severely tempted. Joseph was arrested under false accusations and he was thrown into prison. Um, And Jesus was arrested um, under false accusations. And then this part, which is so cool, the very plan that Joseph's brothers had, um, which was for his demise, was actually what saved them in the end saved his brothers. And so the same thing with Jesus, the very plan that people had and the Pharisees had for Jesus' demise is the thing that saved all of humanity. And I thought it was such a beautiful parallel that Jesus is the one um, that saves us. And the plan for his demise is actually for our redemption. And so at the very end, Joseph goes out and says to his brothers, he says, go, go and tell and bring the others. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. He tells us, he says, go out, go and tell and bring, bring those people about the good news that's here. And so my question for the the listeners today was that they would go out and they would tell about Jesus. If you know about him, go out and share him, the truth that comes from him. And for people who want that redemption, they can come. They just have to give their life to Jesus. They have to turn to Jesus and say, I want to be like this. I was like a Judah who hated my brothers, and I want to change um, and give my life to God. So powerful. So powerful. Salvation is available to all who choose. I pray that you will go, will be blessed as you go throughout the rest of your week. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to catching up with you next time on Real Faith. And remember, real faith is lived faith. faith.